Christ. Amen. You'll see the text before you in your worship folder. It comes from the fifth chapter of the book of James. You notice in your worship folder, unless you have your Bible open, I've got some words that are all capital letters and bold. James writes this, Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance, and you have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. This morning we are going to conclude our series of messages on building a great life. And if you've been here for the last four or five weeks, you may remember the messages, building a life of faith, building a life of commitment, building a life of service, and building a life of purpose. Today we want to share with you what God's Word has to say about building a life of patience. And as a way of beginning, I'm going to give you a little test to see how patient you are. You all know Jeff Foxworthy. You know you're a redneck if. Well, I'm not Jeff Foxworthy, but you'll know you're impatient if. You can raise your hand if you want to. But you're probably impatient if when reading a bedtime story to your children, you actually skip a page or two just to expedite the process. Am I the only one? I'll admit to that one. You're probably impatient if when you see a yellow light, your tendency is to accelerate rather than to brake. Okay? You're probably too impatient if you've ever asked during the sermon, is he ever going to finish? <laughs> My wife did not raise her hand, I'll tell you noticed. You're probably too impatient if you've ever cut through a parking lot in order to miss a stoplight. You're probably too impatient if your children or your dog think their first names are, come on, hurry up, and let's move it. <laughs> so how'd you score on that little quiz? I wonder, how would your family or friends or coworkers or classmates rate your level of patience? Now, I want you to know that it is not wrong to be impatient at times. I mean, for example, I'm impatient sometimes in how I'm able to correct a sin situation in my life. But you know, as we grow as disciples, and I'm assuming we're all kind of growing in the Lord, as we continue to grow as disciples and as we also come alongside other people to help disciple them, things don't happen as fast as we would like to have them happen. People don't change as fast as we would like to see them change. You're not changing as fast as I'd like to see you change. Maybe you're saying, and Pastor, you're not changing as fast as we'd like to see you change either. To that, James says, just be patient. I'm going to ask you a few questions this morning and from the text supply some answers. The first question is, 
when should we be patient? Is there a good time to be patient? Well, if you look at the story from James, James says that there are at least three different times in life when you need to be patient. Here's the first one. He said, be patient during circumstances beyond your control. Now, in the text, it uses the word brothers on several occasions. And I want you to know, you could, I don't want you to cross it out of your Bible, but you could, in your mind, cross out the word brother and put your own name in there. He says, be patient then, John, until the Lord's coming. Be patient then, Nancy. Be patient then, Derek, until the Lord's coming. He says, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. Now, what you need to understand from the text is that in Palestine, in the country where Jesus lived, the autumn rains would come in October or November. No one was really quite sure when they would come, but farmers would have to wait for those rains in order to do their planting and then to hope for some seed germination. They were great examples of patient people. Now, sometimes you and I fail at this very first point. Our sinful nature does not want to go through times of waiting. We want to hurry up and have it now. Sometimes we don't want to wait through difficult times. But we need to learn how to be patient sometimes, particularly when the circumstances are beyond our control. You can't control your circumstances, it's said, but you can certainly control your reaction to them. Now, the Holy Spirit here through James says in verse 1, be patient. And in case you didn't catch it, James says, the Spirit speaks one more time in verse 8, and he says, and by the way, be patient. It's not a request, by the way, folks. It's a command. Be patient in times when circumstances are out of control. There's another time to be patient. Here's number two is when you are around difficult people. Anybody here want to admit to being around difficult people? And don't point to anybody next to you. <laughs> but you all got heavenly sandpaper in your life. We all got people like that. Verse 9 says, don't grumble against each other, brothers. And again, you can take that out, put your own name in there. Don't grumble against each other, Jane or Herb, or you will be judged. Now, you may have heard this little poem. It goes this way. To dwell below, or to dwell above with saints we love, oh, that will be a glory. But to dwell below with saints we know, well, that's another story. You don't need to raise your hand for this, but do you ever grumble about your fellow Christians? Do you ever grumble about your fellow members? And dare I ask, do you ever grumble about your pastor? See, in most cases, judging other people can lead to trouble. I want you to look again at the last five words in verse 9. In verse 9 it says, or you will be judged. Now, usually we don't have all the facts when we judge. But God does have all the facts. That's why God says if there's going to be any judging... Leave it to me. Now, I'm going to take verse 9. I'm going to give it a positive spin. And what James is telling us is this. Live in harmony with your brothers and sisters. Learn to like each other. I said this last week. We might as well learn to love each other down here because we're going to have to get, we're going to have to get along up in heaven. 
Might as well start learning here. There's a third time to be patient, and that's when there are no answers. When there are no answers. Verse 11, the middle part of verse 11, it says, you have heard of Job's perseverance. Now, when you read the story of Job, Job had a, like for about part of one chapter, had a good life, and then from there he's got a mean, miserable life, and he's asking God all kinds of questions, and for about 30 chapters, God is absolutely silent. God didn't tell him why any of this was going on. Now, there are some times in your life when things are going to happen and you're going to go, God, what on earth is going on here? And what you're going to hear is this. Nothing. There's no answer. In fact, you know, somebody's told me some of the, you're going to see a lot of it in the rearview mirror of life. As you kind of go by, you're going to go, oh, yeah, that's the reason for that. But there are going to be some answers that you will not get this side of eternity. So that's when you ought to be patient. Let's take the next question. How do you do it? How can we be patient? Well, James is really good. He gives us some examples here. He first of all says we ought to be patient like a farmer. Patient like a farmer. So see how the farmer waits for the land, how patient he is for the autumn rains. Now, I've been around farmers most of my life. In fact, I think every church I've ever pastored, we've had farmers of one kind or another in it. And one thing that I have yet to discover, I know there's probably some out there, some of you who are farmers in the congregation probably know somebody, but I've, I've rarely ever met a lazy farmer. Now, they know that they're going to have to be patient. They know they're going to have to be wait. Uh, they're going to have to wait. I mean, sometimes we have similar situations, and the only thing we can do is wait. But sometimes our impatience gets the best of us. And what I've discovered in my own life is that impatience sometimes leads to another sin. I'm going to share a personal example with you. A number of years ago, I was driving somewhere and I came to a stoplight and I was really in a hurry to get somewhere. And the light stayed on red for what seemed like 30 or 40 minutes. I know it wasn't that long. But I was getting really antsy. And as I was sitting there, a teenage girl pulled up alongside of me, and she was driving an old, beat-up, black Volkswagen Beetle. You remember those old things? I was sitting there in my Triumph Spitfire convertible, four on the floor. Well, she started revving her engine, and I looked over at her, and she looked at me as if she was daring me to race when the light turned green. And I thought, I can't believe that dopey girl in a VW Bug was going to challenge me to a race. And when I turned back, the light had changed, and off she roared. And before I knew it, she was probably about a third to a half a block ahead of me. You know, it took me five blocks <laughs> to catch her and pass her, and then my sinful male ego was completely satisfied. Now, I, I know that sounds funny, but I have a feeling God was not particularly pleased with me that day. See, my impatience, my careless driving could have ended up hurting someone or possibly even killing someone. It's too, not, too bad I did not hear James whisper in my ear that day, Barry, be patient. Let it go. Here's the second thing. 
He said, we should be patient like the prophets. In verse 10, he says, brothers, and again, put it in your own name, and there, Barry, as an example of patience. Maybe that's what I should have heard that day. He said, think about the prophets who in the face of suffering persevered. Now, if you want to know what they were suffering, you only need to turn to the book of Hebrews. You go to Hebrews chapter 11 and look at verses 35 to 38, and it tells us how bad it was. It says this, others, and they're talking about the prophets, others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. And I just, by way of silence, that's kind of an interesting comment by God. God says, the world didn't deserve these people. It said they wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and in holes in the ground. That's the life of the prophet. Isn't that amazing? In spite of or despite all of the suffering that they went through, they remained patient and they persevered. I don't know if you know what's going on in the world today with Christians, but not every Christian is privileged to live in a country like you and I, where we can gather freely, where we can worship freely, where we can pretty much, you know, we can dance in the aisles, we can sing, we can, we can do anything we wanted to in worship, and nobody would really bother us. That's not the case in the rest of this world. Christians down through the ages have always suffered for Jesus. In the last 2,000 years, several million people have been tortured and killed because of their faith in Christ. I know people who've been beaten because they wanted to come to a conference, a Christian conference. I know churches that have been burned down. I know pastors who have been beaten repeatedly in foreign countries. It happens. The brutality against Christians today in other countries is almost unbelievable. And what does James say? James says in verse 10, they are an example to us of patience in the face of suffering. And every time I've ever thought, man, do I ever have it rough in the ministry, all I have to do is to think of Pastor Hanak or maybe Pastor Dr. Rao or Linus Elisha or any number of other people who are suffering today on account of their faith. He gives us another example. He said, we ought to learn to patience like Job. In verse 11, he said, you've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought. Now, most of you know the story of Job. Job was prosperous in every way, physically, spiritually. In fact, if you go to the book of Job, Job chapter 1, verse 1, what does it say about Job? It says, he was blameless and upright. He feared God. He shunned evil. Job was God's man. He had more blessings than you could shake a stick at. He had a wonderful family, a righteous man, but yet in just a matter of a day, he went through hell on earth. The interesting thing is that in Job's day, people felt that if you were righteous, it meant that you would always be rewarded by God. Now, there are some people who believe the same thing today. Their view then was that because Job was suffering so much, that he probably had a problem with God. And by the way, there are still some people today who feel the same way. He suddenly lost all of his possessions. All of his children died in a tornado. 
He finally ended up, had running sores all over his body. The Bible says he goes to like the local garbage dump, finds a piece of broken pottery, sits there in the garbage and scrapes those open sores. I want you to put yourself in his sandals just for a moment. Everything you own is gone. Your health is absolutely terrible. Your so-called friends come around and tell you that you are suffering because you're not right with God. You believe that God is in control, but you can't understand anything that he is doing. Can you begin to imagine that? If that's not bad enough, let me read to you what it says in Job chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. His wife comes up to him. You'd think she'd be nice, huh? His wife said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. What did he say? He said, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And then the text adds, in all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. Man, what a great example for us today. I mean, Job was truly patient. Now, it's true that Job questioned God's will, but Job never forsook his faith. In Job 13, he said, even though God would kill me, yet I would hope in him. And instead of cursing God, when everything was gone, you know, when he lost his family, his fields, his flocks, his servants, he lost everything, what did Job say? Job said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, in all of this, we need just to simply remember, Job persevered. We need to be comforted and encouraged by that story, both now and in the future. Well, that's when and how. The question is why. Why should we be patient? Let me give you a few reasons again. First of all, we should be patient because God is at work. Some people think God knocks off every night, like God just works nine to five, or that God works a five-day week. No, God is always at work. Even in the story of Job again, it says, you've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. Now, I'm going to give you a pet peeve of mine. I, I, have, a, I have a hard time with a lot of television preachers. I don't want to get too deep into that. But there are way too many of them who claim that sickness and suffering and other losses are not what God wants for his children, that God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And to that, the only thing I can think of is a great Greek word, baloney, uh, or hogwash. I can't remember that. That's Hebrew. Because I think there are certain times that God may want to use just the opposite on his children. I think Job is a great example. I mean, if there weren't going to be bad things in our life, then why would God put a verse like Romans 8.28 in the Bible where it says, we know that in all things, now all things are the good, the bad, and the ugly of life. In all things, what, what does it say? That God can take that. God desires that. God works for the best, the good of those who love him, and that God has a purpose and a plan. Here's the second reason we should be patient. And that's because God actually rewards it. Do you know that God rewards patience? Verse 11, again, as you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. Now, the word blessed here doesn't mean happy. It doesn't mean we consider happy people who hang in there. Blessed literally means 
to have the smile of God rest upon you. So as you know, we consider people who hang in there to have the smile of God resting on them. When you read the Beatitudes, where all these blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, in verses 11 and 12 it says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Then he adds, Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. God rewards patience. Let me give you a true-false test. I'm going to help you out. The answers are true. Question number one, troubles tend to bring us near to God. True for a child of God. Second one, the world and material goods cannot compare with the joy that comes from spiritual growth. True for the child of God. Here's the third reason why we should do it. We ought to be patient because the Lord himself has great compassion and mercy. Again, back at verse 11, it says, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Now, God doesn't expect you to walk through life like some robot, stoic, and look like you've been baptized in vinegar your whole life. I mean, God knows you're human. God knows you're clay. He understands your tears. I mean, God is incredibly patient with you. You don't need to raise your hand or say this out loud, but again, I just want to ask a question. How many times have you come before God confessing the same ugly sin over and over and over again? How many times have you disobeyed God or disappointed him? Now, I don't know what the answer to that question is, but God has never lost patience with you. That's the good news. God has never once said, if you do that one more time, you're going to really get it. Yeah, you're right, John. Thank God he doesn't say that. God has never said, oh, come on, you're so impatient. I give up on you. You're no good. Get out of my way. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Isn't that good news? You know, in the midst of our impatience, God is so loving and compassionate. I think we need to hear things like this all the time, that the, the cup of God's compassion and mercy never runs dry. I mean, I have said this. I don't know who said it first, but I, I say it all the time. You know, God cannot love you or care for you or desire you any more or any less than he does right now. There's nothing you can do to separate you yourself from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. There's a fourth reason we ought to practice some patience, and that's because the Lord is standing at the door. That's a great picture. You ever seen that? Jesus knocking at the door. He's out there knocking. You ever wonder why the guy inside never opened the door? If you ever look at that picture close, you'll notice there's no doorknob on the outside. But the judge is standing near. Verse 8 says, you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord is drawing near. The judge is standing at the door. You know, there are over 300 references to the return of Jesus in the New Testament. That comes out to about once every 13 verses or so. Now, I'm not a real, I, I guess I'm kind of a logical person, but if simple logic is worth anything, 
Consider this. We, we have to be closer to the return of Jesus today than the disciples were 2,000 years ago, right? Well, let me read you a couple of Bible passages that were written about 2,000 years ago. 1 Peter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is near. <laughs> 2,000 years later. A little bit near? Yeah, I suppose so. Titus chapter 2, 11 to 13. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. Folks, it's coming. We need to be patient, though. We are left here to wait. God puts us in a variety of situations, a variety of circumstances, he says, better days are coming. Just be patient. Let me end with kind of a silly little poem that kind of teaches how patience really pays off. Two frogs fell into a deep cream bowl. One was an optimistic soul. But the other took the gloomy view. We shall drown, he cried, without more ado. So with a last despairing cry, he flung up his legs and said, goodbye. Quote the other frog with a merry grin, I can't get out, but I won't give in. I'll just swim around till my strength is spent, then I will die the more content. Bravely he swam till it would seem his struggles began to churn the cream. On the top of the butter at last he stopped, and out of the bowl he gaily hopped. What is the moral? Tis easily found. If you can't hop out, keep swimming around. Let's pray. Lord, maybe a simple prayer is to enable us by the power of the Holy Spirit to just hang in there, to be patient, to be patient and await your coming, to be patient in times we don't understand and circumstances over which we have no control, to be patient with other people that we have to deal with. For, Lord, you have been so patient and loving and compassionate with us. In your name.